The following is from the April 17, 2021 conference, End U.S. Support for Israeli Apartheid. All conference information is available at www.israelapartheidcon.org. And our next speaker, our final speaker in this session, is Richard Falk, the Albert G. Milbank Professor Emeritus of International Law at Princeton University. He's currently chair of global law at the law facility of Queen Mary University, London. From 2005 until 2012, he was chairman of the board of the Nuclear Age Peace Foundation. And in 2008, he succeeded our previous speaker, John Dugard, as UN Special Rapporteur for Human Rights in the Palestinian Territories. And he served in that position until 2014. He has been nominated annually for the Nobel Peace Prize since 2009. Richard is the author author of numerous books, including Israel-Palestine on Record, How the New York Times Misreports Conflict in the Middle East, which he co-authored with Howard Friel, and Palestine, The Legitimacy of Hope. His political memoir, Public Intellectual, The Life of a Citizen Pilgrim, was published in March. Today, he will comment on B'Tselem's recent report on Israeli apartheid as well as Israel's enactment of a basic law in 2018 that gives preferential status to Jews. He joins us today from Turkey, and we thank him very much for doing so. Thank you so much, uh, Janet. I'm very sorry that I didn't have the opportunity to hear the earlier speakers, and especially relevant was, of course, uh, John Dugard, who in many ways was my original mentor on the theme of apartheid. I visited South Africa in 1968, uh, which is about 53 uh, years ago, uh, to be the official observer at a political trial of Southwest Africans, as they were then called, now Namibians, who were seeking, uh, who were being prosecuted uh, for their resistance activities. And it was John, uh, who was then a rising young jurist in South Africa, who uh, really showed me on the ground what it meant to live in an apartheid regime. And I've benefited through the years from his uh, knowledge and wisdom and experience. Uh, Let me uh, try to approach this uh, theme of uh, Betzalem, a leading uh, Israeli human rights NGO that has been uh, widely uh, admired by uh, many people around the world interested in human rights issues for its forthright reporting on uh, human rights violations in the uh, occupied Palestinian territories. And it makes clear that its original intention was not to deal with any issues other than that, other than uh, what was going on under occupation. And I think it's quite interesting that a respected NGO has issued uh, 
just recently in in uh, January of this year, January 12th of this year, uh, a report uh, which has the title, This is Apartheid, a regime, and the subtitle is A Regime of Jewish Supremacy from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea. And it's uh, significant, I think, that this uh, conception of apartheid uh, expressed uh, in the title itself uh, is somewhat at variance with my understanding of what uh, John was saying at the end of his talk, which I just uh, heard his, a little bit of his response to uh, some questions. Uh, because what uh, Bet Salem says, and it's very uh, uh, compelling to me, is that the situation since 1989, when they originally uh, were established and where they limited their mandate, that, that that situation no longer exists. And that one can no longer really differentiate meaningfully between the occupation and Israel itself. And that's quite a radical uh, conception uh, and one that uh, goes beyond saying that under the occupation of the West Bank and East Jerusalem, a apartheid structure has been uh, imposed. And, and what are the reasons that they give in the report for, for uh, enlarging their own mandate beyond uh, the OPT uh, and for the radical conclusion that Israel itself is subject to an apartheid analysis in understanding the situation of the Palestinian minority which numbers about 17% of the uh, population but behind the green line. And the two reasons they give is, first of all, that as a matter of uh, public acknowledgement, the Israeli leadership no longer uh, respects the temporary nature of annexation or occupation, I should say, that, that, there, that Netanyahu and other uh, Israeli leaders speak openly about annexing formally, as they have done in Jerusalem, significant parts of uh, the West Bank and already having uh, annexed in a formal way, East Jerusalem. So that uh, the implication in the report is that annexation makes it artificial and not really satisfactory to distinguish between the occupation and Israel itself. In other words, that Israel itself uh, comprises uh, the territory that is formally 
remains under occupation. And they reinforce that analysis with the related uh, uh, understanding that even without formal annexation, the realities for the people living on the West Bank is uh, total Israeli uh, control and that Israel and the Jewish settlers operate as if uh, for Jews, uh, there's no real difference between uh, Israel proper and uh, the circumstances of the several hundred thousand settlers who live in these uh, armed settlements that are unlawful from the perspective of international humanitarian law. So annexation, de facto annexation, uh, takes over in this sense uh, from the, the notion that goes back to the partition that one should treat the uh, historic or mandated mandate territory of Palestine as divided uh, between uh, the two peoples. And uh, what is under what underpins this conclusion is the idea that uh, Palestinians under occupation and in Israel are living beneath the shadow of what the Betzalem report calls Jewish supremacy. And that the essence of Jewish supremacy is a uh, structure of uh, discrimination based on uh, ethnic identity. And the, that analysis is further reinforced in the report uh, by the adoption uh, by the Israeli Knesset in 2018 of its of a so-called basic law, which corresponds really to a, a constitutional assessment of the relation between Jews and Palestinians, in which it become which it became very clear. Uh, that uh, only Jews, it's stated very clearly in the basic law, that only Jews have the right of self-determination uh, within uh, Israel, and that only uh, Hebrew is an official language, and that the extension of the settlements to occupied Palestine is integral to the identity, the territorial identity uh, of uh, Israel. Uh, and so the uh, Knesset by itself really uh, gives a, a fairly strong reinforcement to the allegation of apartheid that has now become uh, really quite uh, normalized in the 
understanding of the situation that exists uh, and confronts the Palestinian people. And no longer is something that is just applicable to the relation between the military uh, administration of occupied Palestinians and the uh, way in which uh, the settlements and the settlers are governed. The, the question uh, that I would raise in relation to the uh, uh, Betzalem report uh, is one of whether it is appropriate really to limit the notion of apartheid in the manner that they do to an enlarged space rather than to the Palestinian people as a whole. I collaborated in a UN study that was published in 2017 that adopted the view that the essence of the kind of apartheid regime that the Palestinian people are subjected to is better understood in terms of policies and practices of Israel by reference to people, not space, and therefore incorporates the Palestinian refugees who have been confined for decades uh, to refugee camps and are uh, denied the possibility of repatriation in the, the places of their residence where they originally uh, abandoned where, uh, back in 1948 and some subsequent in subsequent periods, including 67. So the uh, point uh, that I think is important to understand conceptually is whether one thinks of apartheid uh, as has been more conventionally done as a feature or, dim or dimension of the way in which occupation over this long period since 1967 has been uh, implemented, or whether one thinks of it in the Betzalem way of extending uh, the notion of apartheid to what they call all the territory from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea, which is to say the historic Palestine as it emerged from the Ottoman Empire after World War I. Or the third way, which is what I favor doing, which is to enlarge beyond the uh, Betzalem notion to incorporate uh, the refugees and involuntary exiles in one one's understanding of what apartheid consists of. Let me say uh, also that the Betzalem report is very uh, helpful in uh, analyzing why they come to the conclusion that the policies and practices of Israel have the characteristics of apartheid that can be both uh, compared to South Africa, but also should be distinguished uh, from it. But the, the core of the apartheid 
notion as an international crime at the present time is the structures of domination that uh, involve the victimization of a subordinate people, ethnicity or race, and the uh, supremacy of a uh, dominant uh, people or race. In other words, that the division is one based on uh, uh, some form of categorical identity. And what the, what the uh, Betzalem report points to is four areas where this kind of uh, discriminatory uh, race, racialized identity is relied upon. First of all, with respect to immigration, that only Jews have a unlimited right, whatever their, however slender their connection with uh, Israel or even Judaism is uh, to immigrate, that there's an, a right of return. And in contrary wise, that Palestinians and generally non-Jews have uh, no right of immigration other than what may be granted in exceptional circumstances by the Minister of Interior or the military commander in uh, the West Bank. Secondly, that land has been land has been appropriated from the Palestinians at a steady rate ever since uh, the 1948 war. That uh, at at the present time. Uh, as much as 90% of the land under uh, Israeli control uh, belongs to Jews, and less than 3% of the land is now owned by Palestinians. Beyond this, that uh, Palestinian uh, residents is uh, manipulated in such a way as to confiscate the land of uh, Palestinians that for one reason or another, either are uh, absent for a period of time or uh, have violated rules governing uh, the use of the land. A third feature, which is primarily associated with the occupation, is restrictions on the Palestinian freedom of movement, which are very stringent, which have made the life of Palestinians uh, very stressful. All kinds of checkpoints uh, that are consistently present or maybe put in place so-called flying checkpoints uh, and the uh, blockading and uh, treatment of Gaza being one where they're not checkpoints internally but there's a, a stringent restriction on going into Gaza or leaving Gaza. And finally the uh, 
restrictions on Palestinian participation in uh, either uh, the normal uh, political life of uh, Israel or in the uh, elections that Palestinians administer or are supposed to administer uh, in the territory occupied, but which Israel interferes with to make sure that uh, the outcomes do not uh, challenge its way of governing. And at the present time, there's supposed to be elections on uh, May 22nd, but Israel has taken the position that Palestinians in East Jerusalem, which number about 350,000, will not be entitled to vote in those elections because uh, uh, East Jerusalem is now uh, formally part of Jerusalem, which is part of the sovereign territory of Israel. And uh, the Palestinian Authority has countered with the view that unless Palestinians in East Jerusalem vote, it will not hold the election. Some people view that as just an excuse by uh, Mahmoud Abbas to avoid elections that have not been held for the past 15 years. So we don't know what the real explanation is, but we do know that these four characteristics of uh, the policies and practices of uh, Israel have constituted a form of discriminatory fragmentation that has uh, rendered the lives of Palestinians as one of pervasive and severe misery. And I think the last thing I would do is to call attention to the end of the Palestinian report, uh, which says that one must not give up the struggle for human rights, but it's also uh, incumbent upon those that engage in that struggle to say that there must be an end. We must first say no, as the, in their language, we must first say no to apartheid. That in other words, as long as this apartheid structure persists, there is no path to sustainable peace that recognizes basic Palestinian rights. And I think that's the, a very important uh, bottom line, that this structure, however one uh, labels it, whether it's called apartheid or not, is a decisive obstacle to a rendering of a peaceful form of coexistence between these two peoples. And unless that apartheid regime is dismantled in the manner it was in South Africa, under pressure, not from governments so much as from the combination of global solidarity uh, campaign, 
uh, backed at that time by the UN, and uh, resistance efforts by opponents within South Africa and the neighboring countries. In other words, it was only resistance and global solidarity that led the South African elite to reconstitute to recalculate their interests in such a way as to finally make the choice that John Dugard referred to as a miracle uh, of a peaceful transition to a multiracial uh, form of constitutionalism. And I think it's not a miracle, but a way in which the accumulated pressures of symbolic politics deriving from law and morality create a pariah status for a country that practices apartheid in such a way that it does really challenge that elite to that leadership elite to think again about whether they want to exist in opposition to the moral and legal sentiments of the world and have consequences following from that, or whether they want to live in a peaceful society based upon equality and justice for people, regardless of their racial or religious identity. Let me stop there and thank you.